If you've never had the occasion to ask that question, you're doing good. It's, it's fine. But I believe that in your life, there will come a time when you're going to ask the same question. Yesterday, we received in Facebook some information that I thought was so interesting. A young mother, uh, wife from the state of Texas, 39 years old, two children, about 11 and uh, nine, 9 and 11 years old. Beautiful family, beautiful family. Such a brilliant young woman, Hispanic young lady, gifted, owned several businesses, uh, had been invited to the White House uh, six times to meet with the president, and just an outstanding family. Uh, came from a beautiful home. Uh, she was born, uh, so I understand, in Mexico. When she came over, she worked in the fields in Texas, I'm assuming. And, of course, she went to school, got her educa education, got married, and just beautiful family. Well, suddenly, she was taken to the hospital in Seattle, Washington, and she died almost instantly from an aneurysm, just, just like that. And uh, as I'm looking on all the pictures of her family, her children, I know that someone in that family is asking the question, where is God when you need him? And so this morning, I believe that I have an answer to that question from the book of Ruth. This is one of the most interesting books in the Bible for me. I really identify with this book and with the story. It's a love story in a way, but it has tragedy. So there's a lot of contrast in this book but King David I believe who wrote the book wanted this story to be written he wanted to write his story his descendants so he's actually writing about his grandmother and so it was part of what God wanted in our Bible and it's there for a reason. Now, you will notice that God is mentioned in three of the four chapters, but only mentioned. We never hear God speaking. And uh, many times you're wondering, where is God in all this? But as you step back and you get a wider perspective, a panoramic view, perhaps even from eternity, you'll know that God is working all the time. God knows what he's doing. We may not understand. And uh, sometimes we may go through experiences that hurt terribly. But God is really right there. And he knows what he's doing. 
And that's the beautiful thing about the book of Ruth. I mean, I see God's hand like you wouldn't believe. And so I want us to begin by reading uh, verses 1 and uh, verse 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Ju Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, let me just tell you briefly. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Bethlehem is special in the scripture. And so the first thing that we see is that there's famine in the house of bread. And that's meaningful. That's significant. When there's famine in the land. Famine causes this family to move away. To move from their home. From their environment. From their family. And their acquaintances. To go into a land which wasn't really very, very far. But it was a strange land. Moab. They went from the known to the unknown. Now. Briefly, Bethlehem is meaningful because in approximately 1,200 years, someone else was going to be born in Bethlehem. And their story is kind of similar because the couple were coming from the north Israel. They were coming from, uh, um, uh, from Nazareth. And God had brought them to Bethlehem because Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, according to scripture. And he was to be from the root of David. So, right from the very beginning, we're getting a glimpse, a picture of what God is doing. God is up to something. The puzzle is not complete, but when God is finished, you will know exactly what God was up to. So, they left Bethlehem to go to a strange country. Now, in verse 3, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both uh, Malone and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. In just two simple sentences, a whole lot is said. In this section, or these two verses, I want to title them Shattered Dreams. Shattered Dreams. Shattered Dreams. Happen when things don't turn out the way that you expected them to. 
Suddenly you're left without those that are closest to your life. And the question is, where do we go from here? You're left empty, void of meaning and purpose and alone. And these are real feelings and emotions. And I am talking to you from my own personal experience. They left us a family. They left us a complete family. And when they're in Moab, first the husband dies and then the two sons die. Naomi wasn't expecting that. She wasn't prepared for that. As a matter of fact, I have the feeling that uh, at this age, they were thinking, oh, we're just going to grow old together. Our children are going to get married. We're going to see our children, grandchildren grow up. And we're just going to be one happy family. Death is something that we just don't expect to come, especially at such a young age. But death seems to grip, grip us. Death seems to affect us in a way that no other experience will possibly ever affect us. We're shattered. Our dreams are shattered. Our hopes, everything that we looked forward to, everything that we planned on, even our retirement together, everything is affected. And so the question Where is God in the midst of tragedy? That's a real question that we often ask. Where was God? A friend of mine in Idaho, his son went to work. He went went to work at a mill factory. And when he was sawing one of those pieces of lumber, suddenly the powerful saw gripped the... uh, the the lumber in such a way that it just slammed back and when the piece of lumber was thrown it hit that young man right on the chest and his heart exploded and he died instantly and the father a friend of mine a minister of the gospel all you could hear him ask and cry was where was God. Where was God? When someone dies, it's easy for our emotions to get the best of us. And really, our emotions are the ones that are in control. And so we ask these questions. And sometimes we're angry, upset, we're bitter, we're hurt. And we project by words that we say and questions that we ask where is God and Naomi without a doubt is going through that phase questioning God questioning her religion why did this happen why 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 did it happen to me why did it have to happen to us and so all these emotions are playing into this story this drama She lost her husband. She lost her sons. Now, in verse 6, we get 
just a glimpse, just a little glimpse of God is up to something. God is really doing something. I can't see it so clearly right now, but God is doing something. And so these verses, verses 6, 7, I titled them, God is working his plan. Verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. I want you to note this, okay? Hope always breeds faith. Hope breeds faith. Faith is born when there's hope. Faith begins to walk. Scripture says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because when we take things by faith, we may not see clearly what we desire. It may not be there because Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we walk by faith. So it's interesting to me that they heard that God had blessed their land. That God was blessing Bethlehem. And that God was providing food for his people. When they heard that, Naomi and the two daughters-in-law started walking. And that's the emphasis. Faith always takes us. Where the blessings of God are. Blessing can be God's perfect will for our life. Wherever God's perfect will for our life is, there's going to be blessing. Do you understand that? When I keep myself in that place where God's perfect will for me is, there's always going to be blessing. According to Psalm 84, the psalmist says these words as he's walking through the valley of Baca. That is literally translated the valley of bitterness or the valley of loneliness. As I walk through that valley, I will not leave that valley until it becomes a blessing to me. But know this. That wherever God's perfect will for your life, there's going to be blessing. God has something prepared for you. And it's going to be a blessing. God is working his plan, even though I may not be aware of it. She returns to the people of God. That's what the scripture tells us. She's going back to Bethlehem. Going back to her people. There, she will find refuge with God's people. Let me tell you a secret. Whenever we're going through that time of testing, the secret whenever we're going through a trying time, 
uh, the death of a loved one, for instance. The secret is always stay close to God's people. You need God's people. You need the church. It's church that becomes our family. And our family will always be there for us. They will always be praying for us. We need to be comforted. And so we need to stay close to God's people. I know for, for a fact that my sons and I would not have made it if we hadn't had the family of God. So it's interesting to me that Naomi reasons and thinks when she's in Moab. What's the point of staying in Moab? These people don't even serve God. They serve idols. So the opportunity arose. God is blessing over in Bethlehem. I'm just going to get up and go to my people. Go to where the blessing is. Go to where God is. So she begins the journey back to Bethlehem with the two daughters. Daughters-in-law, I'm sorry. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail, but what happens next is interesting. Naomi looks at the two daughters-in-law and encourages them to go back to their family, to their home, and to their idols. Now, one of them decides that she will go back. The other one, Ruth, is different. And so, I want to look at these two verses for just a minute. Verses 16, 17, and 18. And I've titled this group of verses, Making a Total Commitment or Unconditional Love. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I'm going to stop there. This is what I call total commitment. Unconditional love. If there's anyone that's married here, that, that you're here this morning, I want to tell you the secret of a great marriage is devotion, unity, and contentment. Devotion, unity, and contentment. Look at what she says. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. That's unity. Marriage is all about unity. Being one together. When you make a commitment to one another, it's a commitment for life. And you're united for life. It's not about, well, if you go that way, I'm going to go this way. Divorce is never an option. Sometimes we may agree 
you know, to divorce because your safety is involved. So we may agree with a divorce, but divorce is never an option. And so when you're going to marry, those of you that are single, when you're going to marry or thinking of marriage, you better think marriage is for life. You only get one chance and you better be right because this is the one you're going to spend the rest of your life with. It's all about unity. Marriage is successful when both husband and wife are together, united together. And secondly, it's about contentment. Where you live, I will live. It doesn't matter if it's un jacalito. It doesn't matter if it's a chicken coop. I don't care. All that I want is for us to be together. It might be a little humble one-bedroom apartment. I don't care. And it's about devotion to one another. Serving God. Your God will be my God. That's unity. You know, there's many that have come to us saying, Pastor, I know that he's not a Christian, but God wants me to marry him because I'm going to make a Christian out of him. Well, you know what? That never works out. If anything, he's going to pull you away from the things of God. If he's not serving God, before you get married, don't expect that he'll be serving God after you're married. Okay? But that's important to me. Your God will be my God. In other words, we will serve God together. We will worship God together. It'll be a family together worshiping our God. I want to know God better through your life. And I want you to know God better through my life. We're going to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God together. But know that from the very beginning, it's all about God. I don't care what anybody says. It's all about God. And it's all about Jesus. Whether or not you want to hear about it, I don't care. I serve God. And, you know, I will not even uh, think of marrying someone that doesn't serve God and know God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is a beautiful pledge, a beautiful vow that's being said uh, to Naomi. This young girl. She said. Nothing's ever going to separate us. Just death will separate us. And to boot, wherever they bury you, they're going to have to bury me. I mean, that's total commitment. I've heard of couples that promise one another. And they say, honey, uh, when I die, I want to be buried here. But when you die, I want you to be buried next to me. But what a commitment. Now, the, these are the uh, principles that we might suggest. God honors faithfulness, dedication, and devotion. God honors faithfulness, dedication, and devotion. God is honored when you submit to those in authority, whether it be a husband, a boss, or a church leader. God is honored. 
You may not agree with everything that he says or everything that he does. But you never, never lack respect for whom God has placed in authority over you. That's key. Ruth was greatly blessed because she had that sense of submission. You see that throughout the entire book of Ruth. Ruth is tender-hearted but very submissive. And the first thing that she tells the mother-in-law, wherever you go, wherever you stay, wherever you live, wherever you're buried, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. That's submission. Tell me, do you know any daughters-in-laws who are willing to submit to the mother-in-law? I mean, that's a miracle of God. You really have to be submissive. But you may, you may ask, uh, and, and they do, Pastor, do I have to submit to this husband? He is hungry, he's mean, he is foul-mouthed, and I'm sorry, but I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. You will win him through a submissive spirit. And you know, God is working in your life. So your attitude is, is what God is working in, not somebody else. You will never change that man or that wife. But God will change that man and that wife through your attitude, through your submissive spirit. Hey, don't be so quick to, you know, condemn and to judge and to use language. That offends. That's not biblical. So those are things that we need to keep in mind. And I see. Always be willing to forgive. Always be willing to forgive. Remember he or she is not perfect. But he is perfect for you. Just like she is perfect. Or you're perfect for her. Okay. So we're not perfect. So because we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Always be willing. To forgive. Those are key issues. In marriage. So now verse 18. When Naomi realized. That Ruth was determined. To go with her. She stopped. Urging her. Now look. It's so simple. You'll see it right here. Blessing many times. Comes in disguises. Disguise. Blessing comes. Even through those that are closest to your life. And you don't think that God wants to use them to bless you. So my suggestion to everyone this morning would be. Don't close yourself in. Don't separate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. You may be shutting out the instrument of blessing that God has chosen for your life. I don't care how bad it may look right now. Be open to those who God brings into your life. Because they may be the instrument of great blessing. So here, here is Ruth asking the mother-in-law, Naomi. Hey, don't tell me to leave you because I'm not going to leave you. I don't care. And she was very stubborn, very adamant. I mean... I can see in Ruth a very hard character, noble, tender-hearted. But when she made up her mind, no one was going to change her mind and her way of thinking. So Naomi saw that and she just stopped. She didn't 
insist on her going back. And Naomi doesn't realize, hey, this is God working the plan out already. This is God choosing this woman, a Moabite woman, a Gentile. God brought a Gentile into the nation of Israel and made her a part of the people of God. Because sometime in the future, some 1,200 years in the future, this was going to be part of the lineage of Messiah. The Savior of the world was to be born. And this Ruth, this Moabite woman, was going to be part of the lineage when God brings Messiah into the world to be the Savior. And Messiah was going to bless the entire people of the world. And so, Naomi doesn't understand, but she submits and she accepts. And maybe all she said was, come on, let's go then. we got a long ways to go. we got to go to Bethlehem and see what happens. Now, in the next verse, verse 19 through 20, I want to call these verses, life can be disappointing at times. Hey, that's part of life. Not everything is going to happen the way you want it to happen. There's things that are going to come into your life that you never anticipated, that you never planned for. There's going to be changes come into your life. And so be aware of that. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Underline those words. The Almighty has made my life bitter. How many of us have the tendency to blame God when things don't go the way we want them to go? I mean, the world does this. It's so common. But I'm talking about children of God. Many times have that habit of blaming and accusing God. They get to the point where they get angry with God. And so Naomi is reflecting what in her heart, what she's feeling. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. In the Hebrew, it means pleasant. It described her character in some ways. It described her heart, her being. She was a pleasant woman. But when circumstances like death came into her life, now it's not pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Now, let me tell you something. When things happen in your life, you'll either become better or you'll become bitter. Better or bitter. And the only difference is the letter I. If you can easily become bitter. I know, I know of Christians. When you see them, 
you see bitterness. I don't know why. I'm sure that it's been the experiences of their life. Some, I'm sure, were abused when they were very young. Or some were uh, maybe verbally abused. Not sexually, but verbally abused. And so they grow up with that complex. And they become bitter. They get married and things don't work out the way they want them to. So they become bitter. There's a death in the family. They come, become bitter. And so all you see in their faces is bitterness. They hardly ever smile. They don't know how to have a great time. They probably are lacking in joy and in peace. Because all you see is bitterness. And Naomi is saying those words. And she gets angry when they call her Naomi. And she said, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. I'm bitter. And I want you to know that death of a loved one, especially in our case, it's very painful. It's very hurtful. And there were times that we wrestled with bitterness. We were angry. I'm talking about myself. There were moments that I was dealing with those emotions of anger and bitterness. And yes, the enemy is right there whispering in your ear. Yes, that's right. The God you're serving. The God you serve. Where was he? He could have done a miracle. And so he's right there feeding you, feeding you. And you can easily become bitter. And then she tells us in verse 21, these things, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And you know, these are, this, this is very insightful. I went away full. Well, may I ask you, why do you serve God? There's many people that have it in their minds that they want to serve God because they think that because we serve God, God is going to bless them materially, abundantly. That's the get rich quick philosophy. That's the name it and claim it. That's the prosperity movement. Why do you serve God? Because everything is going well for you? Because your business is being prospered. Because you've got a home. Because you've got a car. Because you can take trips, vacations. Because you can buy good clothing. Why do you serve God? Why do you give your tithe to God? Because you're expecting God to give you more. Open the windows of heaven. What if God doesn't open windows in heaven? What if God takes you to a through a period of testing where there's no work. What do you do then? Does your mind change? Is, is he only your God when things are going well? When there's laughter and joy and happiness and vacations to Disneyland and, and wherever. Why do you serve God? I went full. My hands were full. But now he has returned me with my hands empty. You understand the point? Do we love God just as much when we don't have nothing? When our most beautiful 
possessions are taken away. When we lose a home. When we lose a child. When we lose a husband or a wife. Can we love God just as much? Job said. I came into the world naked. And I'm going to leave naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you have that determination? Have you made up your mind. That you're going to serve God. Regardless. Regardless. It's a time of testing. God is testing your heart. And my heart. And I certainly hope. That you've got your priorities right. We're here Because we love God. I serve him because of what he has done for me. I love the Lord. I'm so grateful to the Lord. I'll die if I have to. Think of the missionaries that went to South America in 1956. Brilliant young men. Gifted, intelligent. They could have become doctors or lawyers. They were gifted. And they went to a tribe of Indians that hardly anyone had ever heard of. And they made up their mind. If they attack us, even though we can defend ourselves, we're never going to pick up our rifles and defend ourselves. They gave their lives for the kingdom of God. That's an inspiration to my life. I, I see people, I've known people... Great men and women of God. And they, they gave their life for the kingdom. It's all about what's deep down in here in the heart. Why do I serve God? And look at, she further says, the Lord has afflicted me. And then he, she says, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Those things happen Because God has allowed them. But God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. You understand that? We can never compare ourselves to God. God is infinitely wisdom. Infinite knowledge. He knows you. He can see 100 years ahead of time. And he knows exactly what's going to be happening at that time. He knows your future. And all that God is asking of us is, trust me. You don't understand, but trust me. Mijo, I would tell my children, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. And God is the same way. Trust me. Learn to trust me. Learn to trust me, even though you don't feel it. Even though you don't like what you're going through. Even though it's darkness. But trust me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Bitterness. She said, I went full. Now I came back empty. I don't have a husband. I don't have children. My whole future is ruined. Because in those days, the family was the only one that took care of them. Not social security. It was all family. So I don't have anything now. I've lost everything. Everything that matters to me in life. Hard questions could be, where is God? Why has God allowed this to happen? Those are hard questions. And you know what? I asked those same questions. And here just a few years afterward, I got answers. Now I know 
It's all because God wanted to make me a better person. God wanted me to understand what pain and suffering is all about. God wanted me to be able to minister to those that are going through pain and suffering. And so God said, I'm going to allow this to happen to Alex. Because after I'm finished with him, he's going to become a better minister of the gospel. Alex is going to be able to identify with those that are going through the hardest times in their lives. And God has used that experience. I will finish with this. God is still in control. That's the message of chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, and you can underline these words, as the barley harvest was beginning. Remember that it was the news that God was blessing Bethlehem and that region. God was providing food for, the, for his people. Remember, it was that news that caused them to leave Moab to come to Bethlehem. And now the chapter ends with these words. It's the beginning of the barley season. It's a harvest that's coming up. Something that has never happened before. God is about to do in your life and in my life. That's why he allows things to happen. He's there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's there. But he's up to something. He's planning something. He's Setting you up for something. Something good is going to happen. That's why he has allowed tragedy and hardship and a difficult time. And for you to be afflicted. God has allowed those things because he's up to something. Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. That's the promise of God. A bitter experience. God is going to turn it into a blessing. I want you to jot this verse down and I'm finished, okay? Isaiah 43, 19. Isaiah 43, 19. This is it. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I like what my Spanish Bible says. I just prefer that Spanish translation. Otra vez abriré camino en el desierto. I will open a road in the desert. Y rios en la soledad. Rivers in your times of loneliness. I'm going to make a new way. I'm going to make a new road. I'm going to make something new that you've never have ever heard of. And you're going to be part of the blessing. Joseph must have wondered. Why is this happening to me? I'm lo- I've lost my family. They sold me into slavery. And, and then I come to work at this home. And the wife accuses me of raping her. And they throw him into jail and prison. And he's there and he's forgotten. And he helps two out. And all he tells them is, remember me when you come before the king. Say a good word for me. And they forget about him. 
And Joseph must have been asking, why is all of this happening to me? Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed me to go through all this misery? Why God? And Joseph didn't know that God was setting him up. Joseph didn't know that God was going to use him to become an instrument of blessing to the entire nation and to his family. He didn't know that. And God knew what he was doing. Have you ever seen a sculptor working away at a stone, a granite stone? Have you ever seen him? I saw and I saw pieces everywhere, lying everywhere. He had a chainsaw, I think, and he had a hammer and a chisel. And he was hitting that stone. And I thought, poor man, he's going berserk. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's angry. He's upset. And I would pass through that area once a week. And I would look at it and I said, whoa, something is happening. In about a month, he finished his work. And I could not believe it. I saw a beautiful statue. But I wonder if the stone ever complained. Hey, don't hit me so hard. Hey, this hurts. Take it easy on me. I don't want this. But the finished product, that's all that God cares. That's all that God cares. Jesus loves you so much that he's looking at the finished product. Someday, maybe not, not right now, but someday, you're just going to be an awesome person. Right now, you've got too many defects. You've got too many issues. But wait till God finishes. Hi, huh, sister. I saw sister when she first gave her life to Jesus. And we were going through a, a convention in Fresno. And she was telling us about her conversion, you know. And there were some ladies that didn't kind of didn't want to be friends, sister. But... I said, that's okay. God is doing a great work. You know, that was about 20 years ago. You know what? Sister is already a missionary. God has already taken her to Morocco. And she's a missionary there with her son and daughter-in-law. Just a great work. Just a great work. When God finishes with you, man, let me tell you, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. Let's pray. Okay?